This is Museum People, a podcast that celebrates individuals connected with the museum field by highlighting their work, passions, opinions, and personalities. In each episode, you'll hear stories and viewpoints from a variety of museum people, unsung workers to executive directors, volunteers to trustees, as they help change the world one visitor at a time. And now, the hosts of Museum People, Dan Yeager and Marika Van Dam. It's 2017. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Here we are, Dan. (laughs) Season three, Museum People. Welcome, everybody. Hello. What does season three have in store for our listeners, Dan? Oh, we've got a lot of great things. I don't know. Are we becoming more organized? We keep patting ourselves on the back about being more organized and strategic. We are in a way, though. We're getting the interviews. We've had a lot of great feedback from the listeners about what we should be doing. We're taking that to heart. Um, But as always... We're looking for your suggestions, so please send those in. Absolutely. I think season three is going to be great. 2017 is going to be great. I'm hopeful. Better than 2016, right? You see the memes going around? No comment. Uh, <laughs> the worst year ever, yeah. as they say. I don't know if you can actually say that, because depending on your standpoint, it's uh, The world does not or... reset on January 1. No, absolutely we not. We have to keep moving forward. Right. Yeah, that's the fallacy, I think, with New Year's Day. Everybody starts doing their resolutions and... Uh, you know, joining the gym and paying attention. And then by February, of course, it all, you know, goes away. Did you have any New Year's resolutions, Marika? No way. I'm a fundraiser, Dan. I have no time to think until January. <laughs> Just raise so, that money. That's yeah, all you're going to do. One yeah. goal. I don't know. You know, I, I, I take pretty much every day. I try to think about how can I make things better. You know, how am I better today than yesterday? Yeah, right. Pretty much. Well, so how can season three be better than season two? That's our challenge, I suppose. <laughs> so we're going to start this uh, episode off with uh, a segment of person on the street interviews. Uh, we were at AASLH. I guess I should say I was at AASLH last fall, which was in Detroit, Michigan. And uh, really a lot of fun. I'd never been to AASLH, which is the American Association for State and Local History, which is um, basically the discipline group for the history folks, which is interesting because history museums comprise somewhere in the neighborhood of like 55% of the overall population. So the fact that they've got a very strong um, discipline organization is uh, is really interesting. And of course, the conversations there were really focused on history. And for the person on the street interviews, I asked folks three questions. What are you hearing at the meeting? So that's trends. We do that a lot. Uh, The spirit of rebirth, which was the theme of the meeting. I asked them if you could uh, give yourself a rebirth or your museum, what would it look like? And then I asked them the trick question, why are history museums the best kind of museum? Which is kind of funny. I could ask that in this crowd and uh, made me think about, like, do we need to have softball leagues with the history folks playing the art folks today and the science crowd playing the, I don't know. I like to think that we're all moving more together than separate. (laughs) Well, of course, NEMA tries to foster that. Absolutely. We can all learn from each other. We should have intramural sports. Right. Well, that's what I said. Is that what that is? Yeah, baseball league. I didn't play sports. Oh, well, maybe we do, uh, I don't know, trivial pursuit thinking game right because we're all geeks (laughs) trivia anyway right let's listen to the interviews okay Uh, my name is christy bender and i work at the grand rapids public museum in grand rapids michigan 
uh, at this conference. I am hearing and doing many, many things. I'm wearing all hats of my organization being here, so getting tips and tricks for all staff to be able to learn and do things better. Um, reaching new audiences has been a huge one for us, as well as staff and volunteer training. And what are you hearing? What are the big issues people are talking about? Uh, a lot of issues definitely come down to having the resources to get things done. And uh, what is great about this conference is that we can interact and work with everybody on different ways of doing it with these limited resources. So utilizing our staff and collections in the best way possible to reach these new audiences, bringing in millennials to our museum, and keeping our museums relevant uh, to everyone around you. The theme of the meeting is the spirit of rebirth. If you could give yourself a rebirth, what would it be? Oh, goodness. That's a great question. Uh, so the museum that I work for, the Grand Rapids Public Museum, is 160 years old. So rebirth is definitely something that I believe comes up for us often, keeping relevant, especially with changing technologies today. So if I could give my museum a rebirth, it would be to revitalize all of our current exhibits. They're about 20 years old, but uh, it doesn't feel that way if you do come to visit us. Um, but being able to bring a modern digital aspect to each one so that people now still feel relevant and feel like they can engage. Okay, last question. Why are history museums the best kind of museum? History museums are absolutely phenomenal because they're there preserving what has happened so that we can learn and do better for the future. Awesome. Thanks, Christy. My name is Arlethea Walker. I'm volunteer coordinator for the Detroit Historical Society. And um, one of the main focal points throughout the conference is uh, really race relations and uh, diversity and inclusion. Um, it's been great conversation on it so far. I hope that conversation can expand further. Okay, spirit of rebirth. That's the theme of the conference. If you could give yourself a rebirth, you or your museum, what would it be like? It would be more interactive with the youth of Detroit. We would have more hands-on programs um, that taught Detroiters um, about the history of Detroit. Last question. Why are history museums the best kind of museum? <laughs> They're pretty awesome because they share a story. They continue the story. History is amazing, but you need someone there to tell you about it. If, if that dies out, then we don't know where we came from. We don't know where we're going. So they're awesome. Okay, hi. My name is Mariah Austin. I am a volunteer at the Detroit Historical Society, and I'm also a future educator and history professor in making. Um, I really noticed at the conference, um, discovering that I've been a nonprofit a while, so discovering that the same challenges are affecting everybody really lets me know that there's a lot we need to do to further the field. And it also um, makes you feel not so bad. You're not alone um, in dealing with difficult issues, which seems to be the trend here at the conference. So, rebirth, what would you do for yourself or your museum? For myself, um, I definitely would have chose to act sooner. I wouldn't have waited so long in life to go back to school and to really get engaged in these topics I'm so passionate about. And why are history museums better than art museums? Better than art museums? Oh, that's hard. Um, I feel like, well, they kind of go together in a way. Oh, I'm going rogue here. Um, we tell history through art, and so we need them both together. So we need them to actually work together a little bit better, a little bit more cohesion and collaboration, because history is our past, present, and future, and art is the story we use to tell it. Well said. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
My name is Julie Dzernak, and I work at the Henry Ford Museum in Dearborn. And issues that I hear being discussed would probably relate mostly to collections care and collections moves because that's the department I'm in. So, <laughs> Okay, Spirit of Rebirth is the theme of the conference here. If you could give yourself or your museum a rebirth, what, it, what would it look like? Um, personally, since I'm currently living in Detroit, it's a great topic, I think, for the city. And then institutionally, I think we're doing a lot of great things, but I guess just... Once again, collections related, um, possibly re-examining our collections and our collecting policies. Why are history museums the best kind of museums there are? History is everyone. Uh, We all have histories, and I think we all have stories to tell. Excellent. Thank you. Um, My name is Mallory Bauer, um, and I am also with the Henry Ford Uh, I've been to a lot of um, sessions talking about inclusion and diversity in the museum world, which is a very relevant topic um, in our current national uh, political and social uh, upheavals that are kind of going on. And uh, rebirth for you or your museum? I think it's always wise to think of, uh, you know, what you're doing and ways to reinvent yourself or um, rebirth, uh, rethink about where you're going and um, I also work with the collections at the Henry Ford and so I would agree with Julie in saying that I'm, I'm hopeful and looking forward to future um, rebirths of uh, kind of how we manage our collections and, and save them and preserve them for the future. Last question, why are history museums better than science museums? I think people love stories, Um, and history museums, um, they save those stories and they tell those stories, and we can really remember what makes us human and not so different from one another, Um, even if, I mean, locally we have shared histories, um, nationally we have a shared history, but then there are also a lot of differences in those stories as well, and, and finding the differences and the similarities is a very rich experience. She dodged the science question. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Our first interview of the season is actually a very um, moving one, in my own humble opinion. Uh, We're interviewing Deborah Britt, who's the director founder of the National Black Doll Museum in Massachusetts. And um, so dolls, Marika, did you play with dolls as a kid? (laughs) This is actually quite funny um, because over Christmas, when I went home to my parents' house, I walked onto the front porch and it was just filled with stuff. My mom's like, we cleaned out the attic. (laughs) Take your stuff. Right. (laughs) And I was like, what? Like, just give me a garbage bin. I'll get rid of it right now. And my husband's like, just put it in the car. Just put it in the car. And uh, so over the the last couple weeks, I've been going through some boxes of my childhood and Mm. a lot of the boxes contained Barbies. Yeah. I also had, for those of you, I mean, I'm revealing my age, but I had a lot of She-Ra's. That was the, the sister to He-Man. Oh. I had a lot of those. Wow. Um, those I'm keeping. The Barbies uh, suffered some 
damage over time. Mm. Many of them lost their noses and some of their legs. Did you do that? Or was that the dog? It was the mice. (laughs) Oh, the mice. The mice in the (laughs) attic ate the Barbies. Um, I think you played with dolls. Yeah. Is that right? G.I. Joe's. Of course. Because it was a boy's doll, it was full of weaponry and insinuated <laughs> violence and all that type of thing, which yeah, I don't know where to go with that. They Weapon, definitely yeah. came with a lot of guns. The dolls are they're a representation of society, and kids want to understand the world. Yeah. So they want to play with dolls that they see and, of course, that their friends are playing with. There's a lot of... A lot of that. So, well, the genderization of dolls too is is so interesting. My daughter had a friend in a young age, a boy who used to play dolls with them. Later on, it emerged that he was gay, and uh, you know his parents didn't care at all. They, you know, actually encouraged him. That was just so. I think there was this certain sense of, you know, they were very supportive of him. But I've also heard stories of parents that, like, there's no way that I'm going to let my boy play with a doll. It's terrible. Like, it's going to turn them into something or something. So stupid. Yeah. But they really were, I think dolls in our society have represented something for a long time. And we'll hear with Deborah that for her and for many other people, they represent something that's very, very important. I I met Deborah at the NEMA conference, and I think that's where you interviewed her. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's just launch in. Let's give a listen. Right. <laughs> the National Black Doll Museum founder and executive director. Mansfield, Massachusetts, yeah. um, 30 miles south of Boston and 15 minutes from Providence, Rhode Island. What do I do? I tell stories with dolls. So we're not really quite a doll museum. We're more of a history museum. I have a collection. It's a family collection of 6,275 dolls dating back from 1769 to the present. The dolls are different mediums. We've been collecting for years. Most of the collection belongs to myself. And um, it came from a need to figure out who I was. Really? Has it worked? (laughs) No, not at all. How do you mean how, figuring out who you are? Um, how do the black dolls help you figure out who you are? Not at all. It didn't. It was um, it was a painful story hmm. in my life. Hmm. Um, I was told that you know I didn't belong, hmm. and that you know I just and I couldn't relate. I couldn't figure that out. I was actually told that I looked like a monkey, hmm. and that um, monkeys couldn't learn. And so, and that I was a bush boogie. And I didn't know what that was Hmm. as a kid. I really thought that there were bush boogies. And so I started to look in a book and try to find them, try to find these people. And I couldn't find them. So I started reading about Africa and looking for these people. And there weren't any people. But I started to see different kind of people in Africa and Mm. then I started to find African dolls Mm. 
And I was saying, but this is a black doll, but it doesn't look quite like me, but I'm going to keep it. Mm-hmm. And then I would find another tribe and another doll. Mm-hmm. Didn't look quite like me, but I'm going to keep it. Yeah. And it just took me on this journey of looking for dolls that looked like me, but I never quite found a doll that looked quite like me, but I decided I was going to save it somehow. Yeah. And it just expanded into finding different kind of dolls and figuring out where they came from. And then it started getting into more of this history kind of thing. Mm. Well, who made this doll? Why did they make it? And what was going on at that time? And what was that person thinking about yeah. when this was going on? And what was going on in history that would make somebody make this kind of doll? So the dolls are all from Africa? or They're, they're from, from everywhere. Yeah. Because then it, it became, um, here's a history of a black doll that was made during the Watts Riot. And these dolls were the first dolls that had um, a historical significance because there was a riot that was going on, and people were saying, black is beautiful. And so this doll company made dolls that had African names. So it was the first time that there was a doll that was named Karima. Hmm. My mother named my sister Karima. Hmm. And it was like, okay, this has some significance to me because my sister's name is Karima. I never knew that, but I found this doll company that was, you know, my mother must have saw something. So yeah. that doll was there. So now we have this doll, you know. Yeah. And then Eleanor Roosevelt, she was disturbed that there weren't dolls that looked like black children. So she went and had her friend, Sarah Lee Creech, um, come up with a design for a doll that looked like black children. Hmm. And she created the doll, and she went to the NAACP and had this doll sanctioned and approved. And Eleanor Roosevelt fought to have this doll made. And with the NAACP, they put this doll on the market. Hmm. There were dolls that were made based on Harriet Beecher's um, stall. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Topsy dolls. There were cloth dolls. You know? Right. But then there was the Baby Land Rag Company that made dolls based on... Um, Uncle Tom's Cabin. Mm. So I'm like, this is wonderful, but people don't know that history. But when you when you start to tell the story of these, you know, these books and these people, and you know, you talk to kids about that, and they're reading Uncle Tom's Cabin, and you can bring them this this doll, and they can look at it, and they can say, Wow, I can relate to this history. Is is um, are the dolls? Do they appeal to both boys and girls, men and women? Because typically, dolls are considered in our culture as being a feminine thing. Is this an African American woman thing? Absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely not. And it's surprisingly that men and boys are really in tune. They mm. start out coming saying, "I don't want to be involved with this." No dolls, yeah. but once they get into the, it's because it's more historical, right. and it's not Barbie, right? You know what <laughs> oh, happens? I was dying is, to ask you about yeah, Barbie. <laughs> what happens is when they, when once you get there, it's like, oh no, this is this is more mm-hmm. than Barbie. Mm-hmm. So um, no, they they definitely get into there because it's not just female figured dolls that are there mm-hmm. that we have there either. Okay, listen. I'm a fo- I was a foster mom for years. I, yeah. I raised 18 kids. Wow. 18 kids. Yeah. And I raised a diverse group of children. So I raised some Caucasian children, 
So those are my babies. Mm. You know, I have Asian children. I had some Hispanic kids. I raised a lot of children. Okay, my heart goes to kids. My husband was a police officer mm. for 37 years. And he would go to work and he would come and say, um, Debbie, there was some kid that got dropped off at the police station. And I don't want to leave them in the police station. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to see a six-year-old sitting in no police station all night. Yeah. And I would say, bring him home. Wow. Yeah. Bring him home. And so the kids would come home, and I wanted to make sure that those kids had dolls that looked like them. So I have white dolls. I have Asian dolls. I have Hispanic dolls. I have Native American dolls because I had those kids in my house. Yeah. So are they in the museum, so too? So they're in the museum, too. Really? So I have a large collection of, like, dolls of the Diversity. world. Diversity. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yeah. Because those were my babies. Yeah. And so I had all those dolls in the museum, too. It's the National Black Doll Museum, yeah. mainly because a lot of dolls came from my history. But I, I had those babies in my house. Hmm. And you know, I was mom. Yeah. Yeah. I was mom, and so it was mom and dad, and we were doing the best that we could taking care of kids that needed somebody to love them. And, you know, how else can you love somebody? And, and you, how can you love a kid and you don't have dolls that look like them? Oh, that's so beautiful. You, you how know, did, do you think that, or how, how did your experiences um, with racism as a kid, do you think, did that help you with that attitude of trying to help and love and embrace? I think it did. And you're not that, angry. You're not angry. No, it at didn't. It. Yeah. It, it was hurtful. Yeah, it was hurtful, and I felt like nobody deserved it. Where did you grow up? Was it here in in Dorchester, in Boston, in, in Massachusetts, this is in New England, wow. in Massachusetts? And I felt like mm. nobody deserved that. I said I took it, and I don't think anybody else should have to do it. Yeah. That it's just like never, never, ever, ever should a kid have to go through that. You know, it's interesting. I think that, you know, I, I grew up in the Midwest, moved to Boston thinking, oh, this is like such a liberal and welcoming place. And so it's a little bit shocking to hear that that sort of experience happened here in New England. I think a lot of times we think of ourselves as being above the rest of the country or more advanced or something that only happens in the South. And that's the big myth about New England. Yeah. And that's discovering history. And, and so when you talk about the National Black Doll Museum and we talk about what we do, we undiscover we discover history. Yeah. Right now there is a um an African burial ground in Mansfield that mm. we are looking to do some funding to go and get some archaeologists in there because we found graves of slaves there. Mm. You know, who knew that uh in Newport that there was a slave owner that had twenty thousand slaves. Yeah. <laughs> in Newport, right. Rhode Island. Yeah. Right, but it's our history, and as painful as it is, there's some good stuff that can come up out of it. Mm. I mean, my story is is a story, mm. you know that it's painful, but that's not supposed to happen to anybody. Yeah, you know, and so what you do is you you pass that on to your kids, and you say, okay, that was hard, shouldn't happen to anybody. We have to like learn to mm. open up. Learn to like embrace, learn to love, learn to. So that's what we do. I mean, that's my mission. But at the same time, I've been stopped on the street. Yeah. I I have been stopped forty seven times. Really, forty seven t- driving while black. <laughs> <laughs> really, <laughs> really, really. So now how- I'm sixty three years old. Do you do you think that I'm like doing ninety? Yeah. Do you think? <laughs> 
driving down the street. Do you really think that I've gone into the police station? Was I mean, that in a place where you where quote I, unquote weren't supposed to be, or is that just in your own place that I, I I have to get out my house and and go to another town and and I go through this town and every time I go through they pull me over to the point that I don't even go to that town anymore. Mm-hmm. I just don't go. I just will not go. And I've gone so many times and I get to the I go to court and and they go, yep, you're here again. And they go. You're discharged. What are you charged? What are you charged with? Speeding or, so, oh, or, real, or something. Oh, really? or, yeah. yeah. And I get there, the magistrate just like tosses it. It's like, how many times have you ever been um, charged? Never. Want to bring your driver record? Sure. Bring your driver record for the last 15 years. Never had a speeding ticket. No, sir. Toss it. How does that make you feel? That's just how it, how it is. Isn't that something? Yeah. Well, that's your way of adapting and your coping, I guess, that's right? That's just how it is, right? I just don't go through that town anymore. I just go right around. Some people <laughs> would be very angry. I know some of the, you know, the protesting and whatever that's happening the, uh, yeah. with Ferguson. So some people, that's their way of coping. It's to change it. You, you, do you accept it? Can you call it accepting? It's not like you're accepting it, but... You pick your battles. All right. You pick your battles. And I, you know, you use your, your power a different way, I guess which is what you try to teach the kids. You say, you know, you use your power. Your power is at the ballot. You know, that's where it's yeah. at. You know, and that's what we do. And you just try to teach them to be patient. It takes time, you know, and... How do you feel then about the way the ballot turned out? I'm praying. Hmm. I'm praying. You know, we just do the best we can. We just pray and we just hope for the better and, you know, you still believe. Yeah. That's all we can do, right? Well, does it frustrate you to have the first black president and now potentially have all of what was accomplished and those, you know, feelings of progress now seemingly turned aside? The pendulum is swinging? Frustrate me. It's painful. Mm. Painful. Martin Luther King's dream dead or deferred? Dream deferred. Dream deferred. So the the back to the museum. Uh, what kinds of people visit the museum? Um, people that want change. People that believe that things can happen for everybody. People that believe. People that want to know the stories. People that want to hear the stories, because we tell some incredible stories at the museum. Mm using the dolls and we're not silent about it we definitely have conversations about today and things Mm. that go on so we're doing exhibit with black lives matters we're doing Mm. exhibit and tell those stories our bathroom doors are the most powerful things in Mm. our whole museum with the whole movement because our bathroom doors clearly says call it only White only wow. on our bathroom doors. So when you go to into the museum, that's the first thing that people notice all the time. Are people sort of surprised and shocked when they walk in? Because I, I mean, when you talk about a doll museum, oh, that's cute. I'm gonna right, and then they get in there and, and they go, like, "Wow, <laughs> I had no idea." Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I mean, they have no idea. And they say, "Why are you?" And and like I say, the bathroom doors. I had no idea that that would happen. But we did a whole um, exhibit on civil rights. Mm. You know, we had the Woolworth counters and had the dolls at the Woolworth counters and, you know, the, everything, you know, the the bus, you know, the whole thing, Martin Luther King, the whole thing. 
And then I put white only, colored only mm. on the doors. And it caused so much conversation mm. that I left it up. We had a, a, a group of um, red hat ladies that came from the Cape. Mm. And they said, I'm going into this bathroom because as a kid, my mother would take my hand and said, you're not going into that colored bathroom. Hmm. You're not just going in there. So they were just like, we're going into this bathroom now. And these, are, would, these are white these ladies? Were, these were white, white, you know, Caucasian women. Yeah. We're going into that bathroom now because as a kid, we weren't allowed to go. And I'm just going to go into this bathroom. <laughs> I said, wow. And then we had. <laughs> was that a transformative experience yes, for Yes, <laughs> it was. It was. But then we had a, a, a group of, you know, older black women that stood at the bathroom and cried mm. and would not go into the bathroom because it had white only on it and black only and they wouldn't go to the bathroom because somebody was in the black bathroom and so they would not go into the white only bathroom mm. and, the, and the other and the women were saying go into the bathroom no it says white only just because of a sign it says white only <laughs> and she's she's like crying and they're saying just go into the and she's saying you just don't understand I just can't do that. I'm hmm. like, really? And then you get the young kids that come in and say, oh, that's so mean. Hmm. Who would do something like that? Hmm. I'm going into any bathroom I want. That's so mean. They go, oh, look, and the black bathroom is so small. The white bathroom is really big. I'm going in there and do my hair. <laughs> this is here. This is like really crazy. It's just like, wow, we're going to leave this up for a while. And then on the outside of the doors, it's a big sign that says, how does this make you feel? Got a nice little box there, yeah. nice little piece of paper. And people come in and they write all kinds of comments on it. Who knew bathrooms Who would be Who knew that the bathroom transformative would be the, It's amazing. It's like you need to put a video up here mm-hmm. and somebody needs to really do this because it's amazing. Yeah. You can tell a lot. What can we be doing, do you think, to attract more people of color into the museum field? I just had this conversation yesterday. I actually had this conversation (laughs) before I came because um, I have two sisters that were supposed to come with me. And one of them is battling cancer, so she had surgery, and the other one stayed home. And I called my granddaughter, who just graduated from UMass, and she's floating around trying to figure out what to do and I said you really should go with me to this conference because you need to think about museum studies Mm. why would I do that she says I said because I think it's a real good feel for you to like put your foot in I don't think they know what kind of opportunities there are I think maybe um, Wheaton College has this program that goes into high schools. Mm. I think maybe if they went into high schools and said, these are the different kind of jobs that you can do. And even just going into these schools because they have, because um, my sister does it all the time, tours. They do college tours. Mm-hmm. If the museum professionals went out and had somebody do outreach and do during the college tours and said, these are the different jobs that you can do and have that and do internships with these high school kids because they don't know what job opportunities there are. There's a lot. They have art um, history clubs. What kind of jobs can the, the mm. students that are in the history clubs? If museum, if a museum curator you know, came out mm. into the history clubs and said, come over here for a summer internship and see what this is about. 
they would do it. I get volunteers, middle school kids come mm. to the museum, walk around with their slippers on all day long and help me build exhibits because <laughs> we don't have money. So I get the middle school kids. Yeah. But they're like, this is so cool. We like this. What are your big challenges as a museum? Our big challenges is just doing fundraising and just trying to um, do grant writing and stuff like that. That's, Where does your funding uh, come from? Do you have a lot of sponsors and a lot of not at uh, all. donors? Yeah. Oh, yeah. no. It's, it's family funded. Yeah. <laughs> It's sad. Labor of love. It's it's a labor of love. Yeah. That's what it is. What was your first doll? My first doll was a um chatty patty. She 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 got long blonde hair. And she's nice and big and fat and chunky and <laughs> little string, did she talk? And she talks. <laughs> and she's just in my bed and I loved her. And then my Where, grandmother is she in the museum? And she's at the museum. Does she have a special spot in the museum? Yes, she does. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you go to the restaurant and you see their first dollar bill framed on the wall, right? You have that in the... the <laughs> yes, she does. Yes, throne. she does. And then then I have my second doll is a doll that my grandmother gave me. But then this doll, she was, she was white, but my grandmother died of black. Really? Wow. My grandmother died of black. So, I mean, she was like, okay, yeah. I know you like your blonde doll, but... Okay, I want you to like yeah. learn to love yourself because I was having problems. Yeah, you know I wanted to be white and I was trying to paint my hair yeah, blonde. Really? Yeah. You know I want I wanted to fit in, and she was like, "It's not going to happen, chicky. It's not going to happen." So she was changing it. So do you have any Barbies in the museum? We I do have Barbies. I'm I'm not a Barbie collector, so I only have two hundred. <laughs> I, mean, I hate to tell you this, but <laughs> I, I only have two hundred. But um, my sister's a Barbie collector; mm. she has eight hundred. Yeah. I also have those there. Yeah, wow. you know. So we have those, and then I have about two hundred fifty um, GI Joes. You know. I so how do how does Barbie speak to African American young women? Well, Barbie, the first black Barbie, came out in nineteen seventy nine. The Caucasian Barbie came out in 1959. And then Barbie, um, first black designer, came out in 1981. And so there's a whole range of different styles and textures and hairstyles and clothing that came out. Um, and so a lot of girls don't get to see the Barbies that we have. Mm. And I'm a champion of of Mattel. Mattel knows me very well because hmm. I don't hold back. I go to those Barbie conventions just like I come to museum. <laughs> <laughs> and I um, kind of speak up for people to make them hmm. make dolls in all colors, shapes, sizes. That's my mission in life. And so um, they do. They hear. They, they listen. So has Barbie evolved over time uh, kind of representing the progress as it were of more inclusion she's evolved she bobby hasn't evolved enough for me Mm. for any girl not for any girl. still too skinny still Still too too skinny mm. not proportioned at all i have um a collection of dolls called big beautiful dolls at the museum that's more proportioned they're like a size 16 full figure dolls that i really get out there and push so what do you think is going to happen to your museum in 20 years or so 
I don't know, 20 years from now. I don't know. I'm, I'm, my, my dream for the, the museum is that we um, can really get ourselves together to work some way with the Smithsonian and, and can get mm. affiliated some way mm-hmm. so that it, it gets incorporated in there and that it doesn't go away. Because yeah. I think it does good things, um, and especially with our outreach. We go into public schools. And my, my big thing is that I'm always in homeless shelters. Mm. So I'm always in homeless shelters. I give away a hundred dollars every year. Hmm. Every year I give away a hundred dollars. Wow. Yeah, you know, so that's a big thing for me. I'm a foster mom to my heart. Always will be. <laughs> You're a beautiful person, Deborah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's so nice talking with you. Nice talking with you too. Thank you. Quite an interview. Wow, that was really powerful. Yeah. I think that what was, to me, very intriguing is that uh, Deborah says that dolls helped her figure out who I was. And so the dolls, you know, helped her discover who she was. It also seemed to heal her pain. She's got such a wonderful spirit right now of tolerance and uh, goodness about her. And, And it just seems that those dolls were instrumental and continue to be instrumental. I was so moved by... Deborah's attitude towards things. I mean, the hatred that was thrust upon her at an early age, and even throughout her life, she talks about driving while black, being yeah. pulled over. Um, here in Massachusetts. Here in Massachusetts, yeah, which it was just it blows God. me away. But I, you know, I just I, to me, her her spirit was just so. Hmm. I mean, how, I, I was wrestling with the words during the interview. You know, are you accepting of it or whatever? She's, she's not so much accepting of it, but it's just that's the way it is. So I guess that she finds her peace that way. And that it really is contagious almost, though. She's such a, a figure of uh, grace and beauty, and um, she's got a lot of lessons for us all to learn. Yeah, I think that it's it's appropriate you interviewed her during the NEMA conference right after the election because mm. so many of us were thinking – how how do we change the world for the better, and how do we channel all of these negative experiences that we've accumulated over our lives to make the world a better place? And Deborah's doing it. Yeah, she's she's you know she shared some some really terrible stuff that she's gone through, and thank you, Deborah, for being brave enough to do that yeah. with all of our listeners. So another episode down. Episode one, season three. Yes, here yeah. we are. It's happening again. Right. Thank you, everyone, um, for your kind words. I hope you listened to our live podcast ah, that yeah. was fun that we did yeah. at NEMA yeah um, that was a it's first the bonus episode the bonus episode but thanks to those who joined us in person and for those who listened to the episode right till next time museum people we love you next time on museum people wire history museum is the best kind of museum wow you just challenged me with the very best question ever I want museums to be taken care of because that's my happy place Now that's an idea, Dan. A a museum drinking game around objects. This is good. See all sorts of bad things happening. No, 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 no. Let the lawyers say that.
Museum People is a production of the New England Museum Association, which connects, inspires, and empowers cultural institutions to provide their communities with deep and authentic experiences. Have an idea or comment for Museum People? Go to nemanet.org slash museumpeople to provide feedback, get information about episodes, and learn how to subscribe. Thanks for listening.